Hi, welcome to Beef Cattle Institute's Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us and happy to have our crew here in the studio. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, guys. Bob. Hello, guys. Dustin. Good morning. So it is freezing cold outside, but here in our podcast room today, due to the facilities, it's a frosty 93 degrees. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a little warm in here today. So if you hear us uh, slowing down a little bit, it's because of the heat. We're all dressed for the cold, but we'll we'll warm up today. Hopefully, you're somewhere warm. And as you're listening to podcasts, we've got we've also got the bovine science with BCI which is a good chance to take a deeper dive into some of the individual subjects. We've had Dr. Meisner on recently. He talks about a lot of different medical cases, have also covered some nutrition. Bob, you've done a fair number of, of repro cases. So if you want to listen to those, those are also available on podcast. But today, we're going to hit a couple listener questions. We always enjoy those listener questions. You can reach out to us on Facebook, or you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. And we've got some questions today on creep feeding, and then one on a disease issue and some calves that we'll talk through. Before we get into those, guys, we're getting ready to jump into a new semester. But before semester, we had Christmas break. And I want to know, when you're at home, you're with the family, What's your favorite card game to play? Oh, we, we play pitch fairly frequently, and uh, we've got kind of newish son-in-laws, so we've added a new dimension to the family pitch Did game. Did you tell them all the rules, or only after they oh, played for a only while? Only after they play for a while, because it's very important that I win. <laughs> Seven point, ten point? Ten point pitch. Ten point. That, that is the go-to game. Dustin? Well, you know, we've done pitch as well, when it's just... You know, the boys and us. Uh, recently, we've had a lot of nieces and nephews, and so we play a lot of Uno, seems like. And, and we've even had some international guests out who also play Uno. And there's so many rules that they... With Uno? With Uno. Like, all these rules that I never knew existed that they... I don't know if they just make them up that way they can win, but... I'm, that's what, that's yeah. what I would do. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of rules that I never had a clue existed. Oh, well, my family wasn't much card playing. We didn't do a lot of card playing Christmas or even just really growing up. I mean, growing up playing cards was usually war, where yeah. you just divide up the whole deck and you... Less rules than Uno. Yeah, much less <laughs> rules. And it takes a and really it, long time to win. And it can lead to, yes. I think you, that was your mom and dad. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was your mom and dad just keeping you busy. <laughs> so, excellent. As, as we end break, we're hopefully everyone had a good holiday season. But I wanted to talk about coming into the, we think about the new semester coming up. And we're going to have, again, our Beef Cattle Institute internship program this spring. And that gives students an opportunity, and typically we're working with undergraduate students that get an opportunity to interact with beef industry professionals. But I wanted to ask you guys, because I know we have some students listen, what are some of the things that as you're a college student, you're thinking about a career in the beef industry, what are some things you might do over break? Or what are some things that you might think about, hey, this will get me ready for that future position? Well, I, any, any kind of experience is good experience, and that, that includes working at home. Uh, just working with cattle, uh, working with a variety of people that provide services to the cattle industry. You know, veterinarians, nutritionists, AI companies, those uh, both artificial insemination and artificial intelligence, I guess. Uh, so basically, experience is just the more opportunities you have to see different things. Now, the interesting thing is you're likely to get some different opinions on you know best practices that might conflict with each other. And that's actually a part of the experience is figuring out that 
the information you get, you still have to sift through and decide what's best for your operation and or your situation. Dustin? So I, I, I'd agree with Bob there. The only thing I would add is, you know, in addition to veterinarians or, or whatnot, you could also put in maybe commodity trading, merchandisers, things like that. Think more of the ag econ side. But yeah, just anytime you can put the skills that you learn in the classroom into like an internship, externship, or even whether it's just on your own operation, I think that's uh, would be really good. Well, I think, and basically that made me think of just developing the habit of asking the question, you know, why do you do it that way? In that, you know, I, I took a couple of ag econ classes, but not very many, but I had clients that, you know, were pretty big and you know, a diversified farming operation. And so they were pretty good at some of their price risk management things. So the way, way better or had way more knowledge than I did. And so I asked questions like, well, why do you do it that way? You know, the different types of using a futures options or a put or something like that. And I learned a lot just by asking questions. And, and I think, again, I would encourage young people, old people, whoever, uh, ask a lot of questions of why do you do it that way? Well, and I think as you guys are talking about it. It's easy to think about it. I framed it as a student. You're going through the process, right? But how many of those things are different or maybe should be different even when you're 20 years in your career? Because there's a lot of times we forget the, you, you just said, you ask the question, oh, go ask the question, why do we do it this way? How many of us have stopped asking that question and we just go to work and do our, and do our thing, right? We do it the same way we did it the day before. And that question is, is gone. So Philip, I'm going to ask you now we're talking about people who are 20 years in their career and we're saying, how do I get better this year? What are some of the things they should, they should think about? Well, I think this applies is what I was going to say relative to your question about students too, is, um, networking. So, you know, going to trade shows, going to different cattlemen's meetings and things like that, where you can, meet people and talk to people that are in different parts of the country, do things differently and learn from them. And, in, and if you're a student, you make those connections that, that help you find the job opportunities when you're ready to graduate. And so, you know, doing those, sometimes we think about, oh, it's another meeting or I don't want to, you know, go, I'd rather just stay home on the ranch or do whatever. But those things are important that you that you get out there, talk to people, and you gain a lot more information than maybe you realize. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that brings up the end of this month, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has an annual meeting, which is always a good one to go to. And, and I think you're right, Philip, because you start to see other people doing things. And if, if I kind of break that isolation of my own thoughts, I go, well, why do I do it this way? It maybe makes me ask some of those questions. So much of the things you guys said, get out, see other people, it's no different throughout your career. We shouldn't feel like, hey, I've got to the point where I know what I'm I know everything I'm doing and I can't learn more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even if I did know everything at some point, the world is changing around me. So there's the the knowledge that I had in the past is not sufficient for the the changing landscape. And so I I, and I agree with uh, Philip that I learn a lot from other people. And um, we, you know, I've had recent conversations with people in different parts of the country. And, and again, back to maybe a little bit of advice to students or people earlier in their careers, you do have to filter things. So I, I was listening to a nutritionist from Texas, and they were talking about the mineral problems. And they had pretty strict advice about how to provide mineral supplementation to cattle. But the reality is, their soil is pretty darn different than here in central Kansas. And 
where that advice was absolutely appropriate for their part of Texas. It's probably not even appropriate for other parts of Texas and may not be appropriate for Kansas. But the question is, well, what do I need to know about my soils and my soil type so that I can get good information for me? And, and it's not necessarily taking exactly word for word the advice of someone that found a solution for themselves in South Texas. So I don't necessarily want to take word for word advice, but well, they were interested in mineral nutrition, maybe I need to be too, and I might come up with a different answer. But the process or being stimulated to kind of look at the, the deciding factors is part of just interacting with other people in the cattle business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not losing that, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to try to find out if there's better ways to do things. So this is a good time of year for many operations to go visit some of those meetings, whether they're the NCBA meeting I mentioned, or there are there's a lot of local extension local meetings. statewide meetings. extension meetings. January is is a good time often to get out and go to a nice warm meeting room. So yeah. hopefully you get a chance to do that. I mentioned we had a couple of listener questions. I want to start with this one first, and it is centered on creep feeding for fall born calves, and I'll define creep feeding uh, as delivering a supplement of some sort that the calves have access to that the cows don't, at least for the context of this discussion. And and the question is, uh, I'm worried about feeding creep to my heifers because I've heard that that may decrease their milk production lifetime. Any any thoughts on maybe start with, and Bob, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, um, is, is there any truth to that? Is Has there been any research done in that area? Yeah, there is, a, there is some research that would show that and we're, we're talking about heifers that are prior to puberty. So these calves, heifer calves that are still um, suckling their, their dams, if they are on a really high energy diet and they deposit fat, you know, and one of the places they'll deposit fat is in the mammary gland, they'll actually decrease the functional mammary tissue and decrease future lifetime milk production. But there's a couple of important caveats. It's, it's age dependent and it's kind of pre-puberty. So it's young calves. And, it, and basically, they have to be depositing fat in the mammary gland to have those negative effects. Well, so in the dairy side of things, though, too, that, that those heifers that have um, higher rates of gain early on in their life in the first, you know, three, four, five months tend to have higher lactation um, curves in their first or second lactation. There's, a, there's a little difference in what you guys are saying. Uh, no, yes and no. And it's, I want the nutrition so that skeletal growth, muscular growth, mm -hmm. the tissue, the mammary secreting tissue needs all the, you know, that's a nutrient dense tissue as well. It's just, it's, so it's about the, the importance of, of, you know, kind of fine lines here. I don't want more nutrition than is needed to really build the, the, the working tissue I just don't want to get into, and that's why I don't want to get too dogmatic about saying don't ever creep feed. I'm just saying if you creep feed, you have to be aware that in these young animals, if you start depositing a lot of fat, you can run into problems. That's the, that to me is the difference in what in what Philip is saying. Cattle that have a good gain, good plane of nutrition, versus what you said, they've got nutrition that's over their physiologic potential, right? So all of it, because you don't start depositing fat until you get beyond, I'm meeting all my other needs. So you can have a good gain and not be getting fat. And, and we think about anything through that growth phase, especially that growth phase of life, you're growing bone and muscle and all kinds of stuff. 
But if it's the wrong kind of nutrition or too much, you could deposit fat. So Dustin, I'm, I'm going to flip back to you and say one, one of the reasons that people will creep feed is those calves will gain more weight. And when we sell at weaning, we'll have more pounds to sell, but there's a cost associated with the creep feed. So what, what are some of the economic considerations you've got? Well, there? I think it's pretty simple, right? You take a look at what is that cost to add one additional pound and what's the expected price of that weaned calf. And as long as that expected price of that weaned calf is greater than or at least equal to the cost of that additional pound of feed, then you're going to do it. Otherwise, you're just losing money on every additional pound. So, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the creep feed, and it comes in a, a variety of forms. And, and Philip, I may ask you, because sometimes it's free choice with some sort of limiter. Sometimes it is you're actually manually feeding a small amount or limit feeding, which I bring up because based on Dustin's comment, it's how much does it cost me to get a pound to gain? A lot of that's based on my cost of feed and my feed conversion, which is different in, in creep feeding. So tell me maybe some of the differences that, that might matter for this question relative to free choice versus uh, limit feeding. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like you said, that that profitability all depends on the, the feed conversion. And so when that you get, so now that calf has got three food choices, right? So you've given, he's got milk from the cow, he's got the forage, and now you've given him a creep feed. And so generally what he's going to do is he's going to replace some of the forage in his diet with creep feed. And so it's, it's, there's a, there's a, um, a substitution effect there that really increases the cost of adding that additional pound because you're adding a more expensive feed replacing a cheaper forage. It's not an, an, a 100% added feed intake. It, there's a substitution there. And so some things that affect that are, number one, the quality of the forage. So the, the lower the quality of forage the bigger bang for your buck when you substitute some of that forage for a creep feed because the creep feed has a much higher nutrient density and, and stimulates a much higher or greater increase in gain of those calves. And then the other thing is how much creep feed are they consuming? So generally what we, we try to think about or recommend is probably trying to limit intake of that creep somewhere around three to four pounds per head per day um, on average. Um, and so if, cause if they get, start getting up to six, seven, eight pounds per head per day, your feed conversion gets really poor. And so then your profitability gets a lot worse because you're substituting a lot of expensive feed for a cheaper feed source in the forage. So, so Bob, that's our consideration on the feeding amount. I want to flip back to the animal side and ask about specifically in this scenario if we're worried about milk potential i'm going to go way out on a limb and say this is potentially a replacement heifer i think uh, that's not a feeder heifer right. all right good assumption exactly so in my replacement heifers i know if i don't get them to let's say 80 85 percent of their mature body weight by calving mm -hmm. then I, I might not do as well or 65 percent of their body weight by the time that they're bred so body weight's important 
do I need to creep feed them to get them there? Or are there other things that you would think about when in the context of creep feeding and replacement heifers? In in general, I'm, I I generally don't recommend creep feeding replacement heifers, partly because it is really important to get their growth curve just right. And when I'm creep feeding, um, I'm I, I'm not controlling the daily intake for, unless I'm just delivering one day's worth at a time, which isn't all that common. So I don't really like putting out several days of feed and letting the heifers self-regulate. What I'd rather do is uh, basically allow them to grow on the forage while they're uh, suckling and then wean them at a time that's appropriate when the forage quality gets low enough that that's going to start to be a problem and then hand deliver what they need to keep their growth curve just right. Because I do what Philip said earlier, I want them growing. I want, they need enough nutrients, you know, energy, protein, minerals, so that their bodies are growing appropriately. Uh, but I would like to control that based on the available forage quality and it's changing throughout the year. So your, your main question of would I creep feed heifers is not typically, um, I'm a little more excited about doing that with feedlot cattle because um, I, I'm kind of selling on an average and that that kind of works but with the heifers I like to main I like to monitor that and really control it because I don't want them I don't want them too fat or undernourished I, I'm really kind of hitting a narrow window and I can manage that pretty readily post weaning so if I can get them to weaning I can really manage that post weaning so what, what we're saying in summary to this, to this question is, yes, if, if my heifers get fat, they can deposit that fat in the udder, which will limit their lifetime milk potential. However, I also don't want them to be thin. So we have to take into account what are all the other sources of nutrition that they have, grazing, milk, and some potential supplementation. And there are ways to do it well, but as Dustin said, make sure the economics on that work and make sense. I want, to, I want to get to this last listener question because this is a, a question I'm, I'm just going to summarize for you guys. You've, you've read the, the detailed version, but, but essentially a, a calf that appeared to have uh, an impaction. So went off feed, uh, no feces, some concern of, of what maybe led to that or not. And then the calf eventually passed away. So I want to think about what are some of the things that could cause impaction and what are some of the first things that would, that would come to your mind as being issues with, with causing that problem in the GI tract? Well, I'll start with a medical problem. So impaction basically means that, you know, the, the, the stomach or the intestines is filled with feed and forage and it's not passing through appropriately so you know really bad stomach ache due to this impaction well one of the things that can't there's a couple of diseases that can do that um, that we understand fairly well but but maybe not perfectly one is uh, like a coccidiosis which is a parasitic infection it can cause the intestines to be um, damaged and what you'll see in occasionally and it's it's usually not a lot of the cattle in the group but a few um, they can actually have uh, what's called an intussusception, which is basically telescoping of the intestinal tract. And it's due to the fact that we think that, you know, there's just some irritation there. You've got some, the, the intestinal tract is more modal than it should be, and you get some problems. And, and to be clear, most times coccidiosis, if you're thinking coccidiosis diarrhea, which is the opposite yep, of what you're exactly. describing, that's absolutely this true. Is the, the this is the rare occurrence. That we see with with that. And it's it's... So basically, you think gut health, 
Yep. So, uh, so parasitemia or parasite load due to a number of different things. Uh, so gut health is one reason why we might have an impaction. And so, and usually it's, again, that, that, that problem is not a lot of animals. It's an occasional animal in the group. So Philip, I want to go to you and ask on the nutritional side. Um, and, and I've heard people say the phrase, well, they, they look full, but there's not a lot moving through is that what are the nutritional issues that might lead to that, which could eventually lead to, to an impaction? So from a nutrition side, probably the, the one thing I think of right off the top that, that would lead to that or most type is feeding a very low quality forage, basically like straw, like wheat straw, without any kind of protein supplement or anything like that. And so when you do that, the microbes in the rumen don't have the nitrogen they need to grow and digest that low-quality forage. And so what happens is the animal just keeps eating forage because they're hungry. They're not getting any nutrition from it, but then they just get really full of indigestible straw that doesn't pass through the GI tract. And so you just get this really compacted rumen full of straw and eventually if you don't do anything they will starve to death even though they've got a rumen full of forage so the the other thing that that you guys mentioned as we were talking about this beforehand was water consumption so certainly but the the effect of water consumption typically would be felt on more than a single animal so the things you guys are talking about and, and philip even on the nutrition side i'd expect more than one animal to be affected by that so a little bit of an oddity the other thing that will affect more than one animal is foreign bodies or pieces of things that are indigestible. Bob, what are some things that you've seen that cause uh, the gut to basically stop up? Well, a couple that come to mind that, that I think we see occasionally is, is plastic. And the source of plastic is usually something like net wrap, um, those types of things. And it, it, there's a couple of ways cattle can get net wrap into them. One is you know, you're taking out bales and just, you know, maybe cutting the net wrap but leaving it there. And there's that occasional cow that'll eat that stuff and who knows why. The other one though is that we'll we'll throw bales into a bale grinder and grind them and with the with the net wrap still on. And usually that causes no problems, but occasionally it will. There'll be an occasional cow and I don't know whether it's her her gut motility or whatever or something about that cow that occasionally you can run into a, so a plastic foreign body. The other one we see once in a while, and, and you know, think about hairballs in cats or things like that, but cattle actually can do that as well. And um, it's, it's a lot of times cattle that are licking other cattle a lot. So uh, there's certain breeds that do that. There's certain individuals that do that. And, and then added on to what Philip was talking about, if, I, if I've got a, a licker, and she's on, and that calf is on a low-quality forage. Sometimes we will see these these big hairballs that are basically hair and and undigestible forage, and those can cause a blockage. And again, usually the interesting, the frustrating thing about these blockages is, well, it's pretty hard to fix, right? And um, it's it's usually just one off. It's just this one animal in a group that's either really way more affected than everybody else or just something about their their body, their gut, their, I don't know, nervous system, whatever. Because we sometimes we'll call it vagal indigestion, which is a nerve that's important for um, intestinal motility. 
there's some individual animals that they're, it's hard to treat, um, but it can be it can be deadly. They can they can die from these things. And those those would be individual animal. Now, Bob, we don't call them hairballs in the scientific literature. Oh, yeah. Do you know the scientific name? Yes. And can you spell it? Uh, I don't know if I can spell it, but uh, so trichobezoar is a hairball. A phycobezoar is a forage ball, and a trichophycobezoar is one that's the forage and the hair all messed up together. So, yeah, I was able to do that. And if you can play Scrabble and use Trichophytobizar, you're going to get some you're points. You're going to get some points. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, excellent. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us today, and we really appreciate you sending in your listener questions. If you have further questions, things you'd like us to talk about, you can send us an email at bci.ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.